Josephine came with her high heels. And she would dress to the T, everything coordinated, have her high heels on, and then she would feel like she could preach. But what she also did was she brought a little bag with some flats in it. And when she had a minister for a long time, she would call her assistant and say, I need those other shoes. So I didn't really think about wearing high heels today, but for the sake of the analogy, I'll say I thought about wearing high heels. I actually walked over here and during worship wore some um, gray lace ballet flats. But something that I've noticed in the last couple of years, I don't know if anybody else has picked up on this, but our pastors are not wearing shoes, the kind of shoes they used to wear to preach anymore. What are they wearing? They're wearing sneakers. So I was thinking about speaking today and I thought maybe the anointing only comes with sneakers. So I changed into my Madison Dr. Scholl's sneakers. Now, if my mom were here, she would not approve. Sorry, mom, especially on Mother's Day to do that. But I have some granddaughters up here. I think I've got one maybe back there too. And I think they'd approve. Like, isn't it trendy now to wear sneakers with a dress? So maybe I'm 62 and I have nine grandchildren, but I like to be trendy once in a while. So I've got my sneakers on, and maybe I'll, then I'll preach with some trendy anointing. I don't know. Maybe the next time I'm up here, I could wear some ripped jeans. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> so first thing I want to do is to wish all you moms a happy Mother's Day. I know that the role of a mom can be very challenging, demanding, exhausting, frustrating, wearying, and overwhelming. But speaking from my own experience, I want to share that it can also be very rewarding. Often it takes quite some time to see that reward. It requires hanging in there for the long haul. So I hope that on this Mother's Day, you moms will be infused with some fresh love from those around you and some fresh strength from the Lord to keep going for the long haul. Now, there's certain holidays where it can feel kind of risky to emphasize a particular category of people. So I'm very aware that there are people here that might struggle with Mother's Day. Maybe for you, your experience with your own mom was not pleasant, and it's not something you want to remember. Maybe you struggle with picking out a card for her because the things that you want to say, you wouldn't find in a Hallmark card. Uh, maybe you're a woman who always wanted to be a mom, and that hasn't worked out in the way you expected. Maybe you've experienced infertility or miscarriage. Maybe you carry the regret and sadness of abortion. Maybe you've lost a child to death or to distance or to adoption. Maybe you haven't yet gotten married and you thought for sure by this time you'd have a family. Maybe like me, it's hard because you no longer have a mom to get a card for. There's many reasons why this day may feel less than special and enjoyable for some. And so for you who struggle, I also pray that today you will experience fresh love from those around you and fresh strength from the Lord to keep going. I pray that Jesus will meet each one of us where we are today. He's good at doing that in a personal way. And as he does that, I pray that his presence and his touch will make a difference in your day and in your life. So although this message is definitely applicable to moms, I purpose to share something that's applicable to any of you who are sitting here or to those who are joining online. You don't have to be a mom or even a female to apply what I'm going to share. 
If you are a mom, I certainly hope that you will find ways to apply it in that context. But for the rest of you, please don't tune out because I think this is something we all need to hear. Many of you know my mom passed away just over two years ago. Prior to that, she'd lived in our home for five years. My father was alive for that first year, and then mom had four years with us after he passed. The journey became quite difficult as she developed Lewy body dementia and all of the challenges that go along with that. She passed in April of 2020 with just Chris and I present at our home. We were grateful that she was not separated from us during the pandemic and grateful that we could care for her at home. We weren't able to have a public funeral or a public burial for her. But on the morning of her burial, with no prior planning or intent, I wrote a poem for the occasion. And I'd like to share that with you this morning. Bear with me if I need some drinks. I've got some throat things going on, not COVID. Okay, so this is the poem. Today we will lay to rest the one who held me at her breast, the one who bounced me on her knee and nursed me through measles when I was three. My mom who taught me how to live, how to serve and how to give. She taught me how to laugh and love and how to trust our God above. She cared for me my whole life through, knitting, sewing and cooking too, helping with my babies and holding them tight rocking them so they would sleep through the night. She taught me how to shop the sails. It's ingrained when you come from Wales. She tried to teach me how to drive. It's amazing, I'm still alive. In the end, the roles reversed, and I became my mother's nurse. The love that she had given me now poured back abundantly. The season was hard, mingled with sorrow. We weren't sure how we would face tomorrow. But with God's grace, and as I had been taught, I did the next right thing, as I knew I ought. Days turned into months, then into years. We had to face many of our fears. The journey was rough, and we were weary, sometimes laughing, sometimes teary. But we were so grateful for the chance to spend the days with Mom until the end. It was our chance to love her well and care for her till we bid farewell. So I thank God for the gift of my mother. She was the one for me like no other. Her death leaves a hole in my home and my heart, empty space, quietness since her depart. But she taught me to accept what life may bring, to be grateful for each and everything, to be content and live with grace, trusting God in each new place. So this new season I will start with gratitude and joy in my heart, knowing God will carry me through just as she told me he would do. So I shared that poem for a couple of reasons. First, just to honor my mom on this Mother's Day, but also because I realized that one line of this poem carries the theme that I want to share today. Last year, Pastor Jonathan asked some of us leaders who were moving out of our official ministry roles to consider what our life theme is. If we were to share something with the congregation or with the leaders as we were moving on, what would we want to share? And what I came to is the title of this Mother's Day message. Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And then I found I had put it in a poem a couple years before. I didn't remember that. It's, I said, the season was hard, mingled with sorrow. We weren't sure how we would face tomorrow. 
But with God's grace, and as I had been taught, I did the next right thing as I knew I ought. It shouldn't surprise me that I would have included that there. It's a concept that works well for motherhood, but it also works well for life. Do the next right thing. Have you ever heard yourself say, I just don't know what to do? Maybe you're struggling with a teenager who won't listen, who talks back, who isn't keeping up on their homework, is hanging with the wrong crowd, making unwise decisions, and you say to your spouse, I just don't know what to do. Maybe you have littles, lots of littles, and you're struggling to potty train one and refereeing sibling rivalry and bickering with the others, and one refuses to eat, and one refuses to fall asleep, and one makes messes everywhere, and one is sick and throwing up, and you're overwhelmed. And you collapse on the couch and you say, I just don't know what to do. Maybe like me, you're in a season of health challenges, and when you think it can't get any worse, you get one more diagnosis or have one more symptom, and you feel like you've lost your healthy self, you feel limited and isolated, and the doctors don't seem to know how to help. And you find it hard to commit to things because you don't know how you'll feel from one day to the next. And you mutter to yourself over and over, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. You find that distance has replaced intimacy. Silence has replaced connection. There's been misunderstanding and offense and frustration and you tell a therapist, I just don't know what to do. Maybe you've lost your job, or your expenses have increased, and the money doesn't seem to stretch quite far enough. You find yourself pulling out the credit card when you've determined you won't do that anymore. But there doesn't seem to be another option, and you just don't know what to do. So my answer to you in any of those situations is the title of today's message, Do the Next Right Thing. So what do I mean by that? What does that look like? How do we know what the next right thing is? One little hint is this. A lot of times, it looks very similar to the thing you don't want to do or the thing you don't think you can do. It's often the thing that requires more humility than you think you can muster up. It's often the thing that takes more strength than you think you have. It can be the thing that looks impossible. It can be the thing that you've tried before and you've failed. It's the thing that the Holy Spirit will whisper to your heart. It's the thought that comes again and again. It's the thing you may argue against. And some of us are very good lawyers and can make a good case as to why we think the Holy Spirit is wrong. It's the thing that's talked about in Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In the Message Bible, as you can see, it says, but he's already made it plain how to live and what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. The right thing can look like humility. It can look like mercy. It can look like choosing to forgive. It can look like acknowledging sin and asking for forgiveness. It can look like extending grace. It can look like answering the phone call you don't want to answer because you know the person will ask for more time than you feel like giving. It can look like going back to your spouse and saying, I'm sorry, I know I was wrong. 
It can look like correcting your income taxes to add in the under-the-table income. It can look like returning the extra change you were given. In the end, it will always look like Jesus. The right thing will always look like Jesus. We used to sing a song years ago. There's probably very few people here that would remember it. But the words were, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. And we would sing it with our hands raised and our eyes closed and as much sincerity as we could muster up. And then similarly, back in the 90s, there was a popular phrase, what would Jesus do? We wore our WWJD t-shirts and bracelets. We put bumper stickers on our car. But when it comes right down to it, do we really want to be like Jesus? Or do we want to live our own way, in our own comfort, sometimes with our own justification or selfishness, our own weariness or anger or frustration? And so we throw up our hands and we say, I just don't know what to do. Sometimes that means I'm done, I quit, I just can't take it anymore. Have you ever said that? I know I have. Sometimes it's just a way of justifying, turning to the things that numb us, whether those are TV or the internet, shopping, eating, work, sleeping, alcohol, or a variety of other addictions. You can fill in the blank with your personal favorite. So when we say, I just don't know what to do, I wonder, would we actually follow the instruction if we heard the Holy Spirit tell us what to do? Would we do the next right thing? That's something for us to think about. Some of us say we don't really hear the Lord, but I wonder sometimes if we just don't like what we hear, so we don't listen. I want to break this down a little bit. So first, do the next thing. This is basically a practical tool. Just put one foot in front of the other. When you don't know what to do, just do the next thing that's in front of you. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. Don't quit. Get up. Make your bed. Take a shower. Feed the kids. Work out. Wash the dishes. Change a diaper. Sweep the floor. Pay your bills. Go to work. Snuggle your kids. Snuggle your spouse. Say, I'm sorry. Take a walk. Go to church. Check on your friends. Call your mom. It is Mother's Day, after all. Clean out the car. Mow the lawn. Turn on a podcast. Read the Bible. Listen to worship music. Just keep going with what's in front of you. Now, Chris and I both attended Elam Bible School. We've been here very long. You know that. And when we were there, the president was Carlton Spencer. And I think Chris has referred to this a few times before. But um, his well-known saying was, plot on, plot on, plot on. Plot on, plot on, plot on. I mean, that, that doesn't sound too spiritual and too wise, but it really is. There are always things to do, no matter how you feel. And the next thing may be just what you need to keep going if you yield your heart to the Lord and surrender to him in the process, looking to him for grace and strength. Basically, doing the next thing takes the power out of the state of being overwhelmed. It doesn't let that place control you. The quitting feeling doesn't win. You give yourself the option to draw grace and strength from the Lord rather than being done. You let his power control you and carry you. So we do the next thing, but we also do the right thing. 
A life of godliness is lived out in practical ways as we let God continue to work his character into us, even when it's painful and even when we feel like we just can't take it. Doing the right thing requires another level of obedience over just doing the next thing. Doing the next thing means you aren't giving up. You aren't falling down. That's a great start. But doing the next right thing is actually taking intentional, positive steps in obedience to the Holy Spirit. When we're considering if we're going to do the right thing or not, we must remember it doesn't matter if we want to. It doesn't matter if we feel like it. It doesn't matter if we think we're called or smart enough or if we have what it takes. It doesn't matter if it's convenient. It doesn't matter if we can do it perfectly. It doesn't matter if it's embarrassing. It doesn't matter if it's time-consuming. It doesn't matter if the other person appreciates it or receives it. It doesn't matter if someone else can do it better. What matters is whether or not it is what Jesus would have us to do. It means we follow what the Holy Spirit is telling us what to do, but this doesn't have to be a super spiritual, mystical kind of thing. Um, some of you might remember when Pastor Josh Whippy of Pioneer Christian Fellowship in Arcade was here and he preached on a Sunday morning for us. And he talked about the Holy Spirit being our GPS. Any of you remember that? Just a few people, okay. Well, that's the idea of what I mean. I'm not going to go into that whole um, sermon that he preached, but basically, the Holy Spirit is like our personal GPS. He directs us, he guides us, he warns us when we're not doing the right thing. We get a notice to recalculate. We need to follow the GPS if we want to stay on the right path. We've learned godly principles, and we're letting God transform us as we put them into practice in our lives. Often we know the right thing, we just don't want to do it. So why is it important to do the right thing? I'll give you a few reasons. It causes us to grow as believers. We move into a deeper place of a relationship with God. It stops us from wasting time and staying where we are, immature and weak. It also causes us to grow in our designated roles, for example, in our parenting, or as husband and wife, or son and daughter, in our places of employment, uh, in our friendships, or the places we serve here in church or in the community. It benefits all of our relationships. It builds our faith. It leaves an example for others, like our children, or new believers, or those that we hope would want to know Jesus. It's a testimony and an encouragement to those around us. It's what we're called to. It builds habits and a right pattern for living. And very importantly, we have already said yes to Jesus. So why would we argue now? I'd like to give you some examples for my own life where this came into play. There's many times where I struggled and continue to struggle with doing the right thing. So this first story I'm going to tell you is an example that you should not follow. So Chris and I fell in love while attending Elam. You can follow that example if you're a teenager who ends up at Elam. You can fall in love while you're there. But don't do the other things that I'm going to talk about. So we started Elam the same year, but Chris took off our senior year to work, and I continued attending school. We'd been good friends for most of our junior year, but our dating relationship blossomed the following summer. 
So we weren't living on campus together. I was there and he was living like 45 minutes away. So we cherished any moments we could spend together. We found it very hard to say goodbye. We knew we might not see each other for a couple weeks or even longer. Now that was before the days of cell phones or messenger and we communicated mostly by writing letters, believe it or not, and an occasional phone call if we could afford it. So in my senior year, I shared a dorm room with another senior who was an RA, that's a resident advisor. And it was actually a double room, so we each had our own room, but there was an adjoining door. And as many of you know all too well, it's a lot harder to stretch the rules when your roommate is the RA. But this particular night, I gave it a shot. So I think it was a Sunday night, and we had to be in our rooms by 11. And we had a hard time ending our weekend. Chris had come up for the weekend, and that weekend was going to end, and who knows when I would see him again. Maybe never. So we had a, a very hard time saying goodbye, and the, the clock kept ticking down. And by the time he left, I was late for curfew, and he was going to be late for work. So we had already not done the right thing, right? So, but I had learned a little trick that summer on other late nights. I had learned how to sneak past the night watchman, who really was basically blind. So I used my expertise. I got past the night watchman, and I quietly went up the stairs. I had to go right by my dean's door. I assumed she would be asleep by then. I got into my room, quickly got into bed. I don't think I even turned the light on. Hallelujah. But the next day, my roommate R.A. approached me, and she said something like, Karen, I know you came in late last night. Oh. I waited, and she said, well, I'm going to leave this up to you. You can either go confess to the dean, or you can chalk this up to a one-time mistake, and I won't turn you in. Whoa, I breathed a sigh of relief. It's up to me. I felt like I dodged a bullet. <laughs> Remember, my dad was the president of this Bible school. So if I was going to get into trouble, it was going to come from a few directions. So I took the pass. I felt like I got mercy. I mean, I was praising God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You have saved me so much better your way. <laughs> but I wonder what would have happened if I would have asked the Lord what I should do. Would he have had me talk to the dean? What fruit might, have, might I have had in my life if I had done that? I wonder, what did I possibly delay by taking the easy way out? Using the easy path does not usually lead to growth as a Christian. Not doing the right thing can delay you or sidetrack you from God's plan for your life, and it may take you longer to learn the lesson he was trying to teach you. At the first church where we were full-time pastors, I was about 25. Anybody here 25? Natalie's 25. Okay. 25, right back here. Um, so we moved to this new place. We were going to be in full-time ministry. I had a one-year-old who was very, very, very active, and I was soon to have another baby. I'd graduated from Bible school. I had a focus in children's ministry, but Chris and I were already leading we're full-time pastors, we're leading the youth ministry, we are just adjusting to our first time in this whole full-time ministry thing. First time not living in the same town as family. Life was really challenging. 
But after we'd been there a while, we realized there was no one to run into the kids' program. I did not want to do that. I was sufficiently overwhelmed, kind of hanging by a thread. But I saw the need, and I felt like God was asking me to do it. So eventually I said, yes, this program that we had was me, teaching all the children. That was the program. I think I had uh, my baby in the high chair, my now active two-year-old, up to age 12, in one very small room. There weren't many of them, but I had to find a way to teach a lesson that would engage that variety of kids. It was rough. But when I said yes, I did find God's faithfulness in the midst of that. And it helped other families who were just beginning to come to church. So I was serving them as well. Doing the right thing can train you and stretch you in your walk with God, preparing you for what lies ahead. I've done some mentoring and counseling here in the last 31 years at this church. And uh, one time I had someone approach me and ask me to mentor them. They felt like God had put this on their heart. They had a strong desire to grow. And they were very sure I was the one to help them. I really struggled with this decision. I really struggled with it. I didn't want to do it. I had a sense of how hard and time-consuming and spiritually and emotionally challenging it might be. But I remember where I was right out in this parking lot walking over from my house when God spoke to me and said, if you do this, there will be fruit. If you do this, there will be fruit. So with that promise, I said yes. I will tell you, I was stretched beyond expectation in that situation. But I also saw fruit beyond expectation. The time I, that I had to give to it was way beyond my expectation. The struggles and the arenas we had to deal with were way beyond my experience and my expectation. It was very painful for me and for the individual I was mentoring. However, the fruit that we experienced was sweet. I had more prophetic clarity and freedom in those times of ministry than anything I had experienced up until then. And there was significant and necessary growth for the individual that was well worth the price that I paid. I would have missed out on that, and so would they, if I had chosen to not listen to the voice of God in that season. Doing the right thing will bring growth to your own life and to the lives of others. It will also bring fruit and reward to your own life and to the lives of others. When you decide to walk in obedience and do the right thing, God will honor that, and he will give you grace and strength to follow through. He will enable you to walk in that obedience. I remember what may have been my first time to step out in prophecy. We were in Watertown at a small church we were planning, and some missionaries came to share. I felt a word for them while we were praying for them. I wasn't sure I wanted to share it. That wasn't typical for me. But I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me, and I chose to step out. I was nervous. I wasn't sure how it would be received. But little did I know how God had planned to breathe on that gifting and use it in many ways over the course of my life. I could have delayed that process if I hadn't said yes at that time. Doing the right thing will keep you moving forward in God's plan for your life. Often what this next right thing looked like for me was moving forward in ministry when I didn't feel like it because I was having my own struggles. Now, not all of you are officially in ministry, but as we have been reminded recently, we're all officially called to love people, to serve people, to care for people. So you can apply this to that arena of loving people. 
It's amazing the number of times that the phone would ring and I'd answer it and I'd find another woman pouring out her heart and needing counsel on the very issue I was dealing with. So as I would speak truth to her and share godly principles with her, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me through my own words. Moms, this will happen to you. You'll be speaking to your children and training them. And if you listen, you'll realize you deal with some of the very same issues. So as you tell them to apologize for yelling, or you remind them that they need to be kind, or talk to them about their words and how their words can hurt others, you'll realize that God is training you right along with them. It may mean that after you talk with them, you need to go and apologize to your husband and ask for forgiveness for how you've spoken to him recently. You may need to talk to your kids about how your words have hurt them. Don't let your failures and mistakes stop you from doing the right thing. I led a ba ladies' Bible study here for, well, a lot of years. And uh, I can remember many Tuesday mornings when I didn't feel like doing the next thing. And I certainly didn't feel like doing the next right thing. I really didn't feel like doing anything. Maybe Chris and I were at odds with each other, or we were dealing with a difficult issue with one of our children, and it was wearying and consuming. Maybe there were situations in the church that were hard to walk through, and I didn't want to face people. Maybe I just wasn't feeling well. But for whatever reason, I didn't want to come lead a ladies' meeting. But I would get to the place where I would remember that I had already said yes to Jesus and his call in my life. I had already surrendered my own desire and my own agenda, and I needed to once again say yes to what he was asking, and I needed to just do the right thing. Inevitably, the days where I struggled the most to come would be the days where God would move in precious and powerful ways, where truth would be heard and received, where women would receive ministry they desperately needed, and where God's presence would refresh us. Doing the right thing will solidify your surrender to the Lord and bring you more and more into his presence. The more and more that you do the right thing, the more that selfishness and foolishness and immaturity will be broken in your life. You'll set yourself on a course of growth that will take you out of sinful patterns and move you into a life of godliness. Galatians 6, 9 says, May we never tire of doing what is good and right before our Lord. Because in his season, in his season, we shall bring in a great harvest if we can just persist. So that verse speaks to not giving up, but rather pressing on. It speaks to doing what is right, and it speaks to the blessing and the harvest that will come in those choices. I want to address one thought that might be coming to your mind, a way that you maybe question or argue this principle that I'm teaching. You might say, isn't that bondage? Like, isn't that just living by the law? Aren't you making this about being perfect, just always having to do the right thing? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> our relationship with the Lord will always be about our character. It will always be about transformation. We cannot and should not want to get away from that. It'll always be about grace. It'll always be about surrender. It will always be about living a spirit-filled life. Doing the right thing does not place us in bondage. It doesn't put us under the law. It actually rather puts us in a place of obedience where we live and walk in the blessing of God. Who wouldn't want that? 
Now, to quickly tie this up, um, do the next right thing. So we've been reminded to do the next thing, <laughs> to keep going, to not fall down under the load. Doing the next thing is practical, and once you develop the habit, it's almost automatic. We've been reminded to do the right thing, to make right choices, remembering godly principles and walking in those. But how do we know what is the next right thing to do? I'm going to just touch on this briefly. Sometimes there's too many right things, and we don't know how to choose. This is where we need wisdom, and we need to know what God is asking us to do. That comes out of an ongoing relationship with Jesus, where we learn more and more to hear his voice. We learn to recognize his nudges. We remember to check in before we step out. Check in before we step out. Doing the next th right thing will require some wisdom. That wisdom comes out of our relationship with the Lord, and it will grow with time and experience. It grows through mistakes and hard consequences. It grows through, through seeing the fruit of obedience and disobedience. It grows as we pursue him, as we spend time in his word, as we receive counsel in our life and listen to our leaders. So getting to this place is a bit of a process. You might start with just learning to not give up and not fall down under your, I don't know what to do. Once that becomes a habit, you may start focusing more on the godly principles and making sure that your choices are lining up with those. But then you're going to come to a place where you want to walk more closely with Jesus and you want to have his input on the right things that you're doing. This is living a life that is led by the Spirit of God. It is growing in relationship with the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and letting him lead you in your day-to-day -day life. Now, I'm not talking about things like whether you eat spaghetti or lasagna, or whether you wear your green hoodie or your blue hoodie, although I, I do think the Holy Spirit can speak into every aspect of our lives and direct those. But I'm talking about letting him direct our important steps and decisions, letting him adjust our behavior, letting him form our character, and letting him lead us. James 1.5 says, I love this verse, if any of you lack lacks wisdom, you could ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Or in the Message Bible, it says, if you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help you. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. And sometimes when I don't, I don't know what to do, I just remind God of that. God, you said that if anybody lacks wisdom, we could ask you and you'll give it to us. I lack wisdom right now. God, please give it to me. That's what we can do. So when you're in that place that I talked about at the beginning of the, I just don't know what to do, that's the time to put that scripture into practice. If you feel a shortage in the wisdom department, ask God because he loves to give it to his people. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we're being transformed into the image of the Lord by the Spirit of God. As we spend more time letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide us, we become more like Jesus. The Message Bible says it this way, and so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Isn't that what we want to do? It happens as we listen to him, as we walk in obedience, and as we follow the wisdom he gives us. So to summarize the message I felt to bring for today, do the next right thing. Don't give up. Do the next thing in front of you. 
follow godly principles and do the right thing. Seek wisdom to know which right thing to do. As you do, you will grow and you will change and you will become more like Jesus. Amen? In closing, I would like us to watch a music video together. And it's, it's in line with today's theme, but it also kind of fits with what we've been talking about this whole month. A little more like Jesus, a little more Get the beat here, girls. <laughs> A little less like me. Amen. 
So let's do the, the right, next right thing and become a little more like Jesus. Amen. Uh, happy Mother's Day, and you moms that are here can stop out at the table in the foyer and pick up a gift. God bless you all. What? Oh, thank you. Okay, you got a second? Yeah, sure. It's Mother's Day. You know, those times they come to church and the sermon is pointed at, right at you in there. Yeah, I sure have. I'm going to really try and squeeze this down. Laura got married for real the other day. Yes. She's got the other wedding coming. Yes. For everybody. Oh. <laughs>